Check, 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 check. Check, check, check. Check, 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 check. Check, check, check. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's another beautiful day here yes. at the Patreon. No, podcast. Podcast, buffet, yes. Right? Because we're doing two separate things now. Not separate. They're related, right? So we got the right. Patreon buffet, which if you want to support us, thank you so right. much. Thank we you love so you. much, yes. If, if you saw the people in person, would you kiss them? Y- yes. All of our patrons? Yeah. All right, so there's a, there's a, there's a perk Everybody, if you want to kiss Yuki Nakamura, be a patron and he'll he'll kiss you. Yeah. No tongue. No tongue, no. No, just the, the smooch. Well. <laughs> <laughs> or a peck. The guy, maybe cheek. Okay. Then, then the female, mouth. <laughs> Yuki, have you ever heard of the Me Too movement? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, any consenting woman who wants to kiss on the mouth. Yeah. Yes, yes. But everybody else gets oh, Maybe I should let them do it. Then. They can decide. They can decide, Because, yeah. you know, what if a guy is like the cheek? All right, here's my butt cheek, and then you got to kiss. butt <laughs> cheek. You don't want to do that. No. No, no, no. I don't want to do that. <laughs> All right, so this is yeah. Yuki and John's. Podcast buffet. Podcast, yeah. So the you know we put these out so that everybody can get a taste of uh, you know Yuki's mind because Yuki's such an interesting fellow that I well, uh, you're well, welcome. Well, no, well, for real. Well, I, well, I don't know what way, but uh, you know. In every way, I mean, you you got a lot of great opinions. You know a lot about art and life, and you know just just interesting stuff. So we like to pick your brain. Well, I don't know. I I could be just you know. Nosy, noisy person. <laughs> I'm sure to everyone, uh, there's some people out there who think you're nosy and noisy, but uh, not all of them. Maybe two thirds of the people think you're not, and one third think you are. So fuck okay. that one third. We don't okay. want them. Okay. All right. So okay. Yes. So what we're doing today is um, we're gonna do a spotlight on an artist that yes. Yuki and I both found out that we really love. Right. Yes. Um, his name. Is, is Mr. Samuel Fuller. Fuller. Yes. Right? Yuki, what, what can you tell the people out there in Buffet Land about Mr. Samuel Fuller? Well, Samuel Fuller, he, he's a very, I think, underrated director. Uh, he's, he, he's a, a lot better than people think, or, you know, critic or media think. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that the Peking part is a lot more famous. But I see him in very similar, Samuel Fuller, little, you know, smaller scale version, but his style kind of uh, similar to Pekinper. You know, his movie has all violence and then, you know, racism and then, you know, psychological, you know, story or, uh, I mean, every which way his movie is interesting or something to, you know, something you think about makes you think. You know, right, there's so always some sort of a, a theme, theme yeah. to uh, get you to think, or social, right. socio-political right. theme, or something uh, to do with war. Right, or, or war. Or I, I think because that's coming from he went to the war. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get through his whole personal okay. life, right? Because this, right. he is such a colorful life. Yeah, and then he was a journalist. So, a journalist. You know, the way he's looking at the world... You know, that's becoming his filmmaking. Yes. So, so apologies to anybody who started out with the, our goofy things about <laughs> Yuki kissing men's butt cheeks, but we really do want to shine a spotlight on Samuel Fuller, one of the greatest American 
artist, in my opinion. Uh, great filmmaker, great writer, uh, and not just a writer of movies. He wrote novels. Right. Like you said, he was a, a, a journalist. And um, I think at the end of his life, he was unfairly maligned for a movie that he made that was an anti-racist statement right. that people just misconstrued without even watching it and saying it was a racist movie, a movie called White Dog. The movie wasn't even released, I think, like, uh, right? Only it was not even released in America for a long yeah. time because it was like, I don't know, people who didn't see it just went after it. And it, it, the movie's a completely anti-racist film. Right. It's insane. So let's let's try to, like, you know, we, we, we you and I both did a little research, right? Right. What, okay, let's, let's just go through maybe sort of chronologically because I watched... On the Criterion channel, there's two documentaries about Samuel Fuller. Uh-huh. One of them is called A Fuller Life. Now, this one is really interesting because it's Samuel Fuller's daughter who produced and directed it. And there's a lot of famous people in there, uh, a lot of great artists, uh, you know, Wim Wenders, the director, oh. and all sorts of people reading. So they don't get interviewed. They read from Samuel Fuller's autobiography and then they do like montages or cutaways to mm. things that he's talking about. Clips from his movies, clips from his newspaper days, pictures of him. So what? This is his uh, daughter. His daughter produced this documentary, documentary. and oh. it's called "The Fuller Life," I've based seen. on his um, autobiography called mm. "The Third Face." Great, great documentary. I mean, really. And then there's another one called uh, I- "I'm going to probably get this wrong because I don't have it uh, opened up to me," but it's uh, something like "The Rifle," "The Typewriter," and "The Movie Camera." This is an hour-long one that's also on the uh, Criterion channel. And there's also great people in there. Tim Robbins mm-hmm. is sort of the narrator slash host of the program. And there's a lot of people in it. Jim Jarmusch, the director, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino. And they kind of go into Fuller's office that's still there. Even after his wow. death, they preserved it in all sorts of books and papers and unused scripts, props. They had the steel helmet in there. You know the movie The Steel Helmet that he did? Wow. It's there. So they kind of go around his thing and, and they and they talk about his life. So to begin a little bit about Fuller, he started out as a young boy and he got really infatuated with the newspaper business. So he, I guess uh, the way that they described it, and some of this I might get wrong, so you should go watch the documentaries to get the exact information. But from what I could recall... He was uh, saw a, people giving out these newspapers, and he wanted to like kind of figure out what they were doing. And he got a, he worked his way in to get a job while he was still in school to work at a printing press for a newspaper, mm. and would like sleep there. And all, and his mother said, uh, you know, you sure you want to do this? And she allowed him to sort of like have a job while he was going to school because he was so enamored of the the business, mm. which led him. To become a journalist down the line. He started, you know, asking, can I write stories? This and that. At a young age. And he started to go out and write stories. Mm. And then from becoming a journalist, he went and he basically saw America. He worked his way across all sorts of parts of the country, writing as he went, getting paid, and going to different parts. He went up and down the Mississippi. He went to places where they would uh, pick fruit and just did stories. Oh, I see. 
And then from there, <laughs> he went to World War Two, and he was in one of the most infamous infantry units, the Big Red One. Big, right, he made the movie. Like so that. yeah, eventually he made a movie, and a factoid about Samuel Fuller that's amazing is that he's the only American filmmaker who ever stormed the beach at Normandy and then recreated it on screen. How about that? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So amazing. let's let's get into a little bit because I'm not very learned about his like journalistic stuff, and be, I didn't really delve into that. Right. But let's talk about you know he started out when he was in World War II. Some of his books, his novels, and screenplays had gotten optioned by Hollywood and stuff, and then he went to the war, so he was learning about things that were being made <laughs> while he was there. Is that crazy or what? It's crazy, yeah, but hey, learning by doing it. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, so what do you think, Yuki, like, um, just your opinion on being in World War II, what would you have done, like, because he said in this documentary that his main creature comfort that he wanted people to send to him from back home were cigars. Mm. What would you want sent? God, I don't know. I'm a, I was born after a, World War Two, so you know that's worse stuff and something a lot more than I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, from like creature comforts from home, I yeah. I would hope maybe just like I don't know, a soap, soap, good soap. Good I don't soap. know <laughs> to keep the keep the athlete's foot off the feet. I mean, I'm sure it's, there's some bad things that go on in the maybe war. Maybe food, cleanliness. Yeah. yeah, food. You know, but I'm sure the army has rations and stuff, and it's hard to keep certain things. As you're going. Anyway, back to Samuel Fuller. Yes. <laughs> so he goes through the war in this infamous infantry unit, has all these incredible experiences, comes back and gets involved because some of his stuff was right. in Hollywood. He gets involved in Hollywood and he starts to become a director. Right. Right. Did he say the filmmaking is war? Yeah. 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 He said a few great <laughs> quotes. One of them uh, was life is in color. But black and white is more realistic. <laughs> I agree with that. I think black and white black films and white. sometimes are better than color because it, it just makes you, it's like a dream. Yeah. You know? And a lot of it, almost all of his early stuff is in black and white. Then he went to color and then he goes back to black and white for Shock Corridor in the 60s. Right. It's amazing. So let's start sort of from the beginning. Um, you watched certain ones that I didn't, I watched certain ones that right, you didn't. Right. So I shot Jesse James. Oh, I was, never seen that one. Okay, so that, that was his first movie that he mm. wrote and directed. Great, great, great movie. There's another movie that they did many years later with Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. Oh, yeah, that, that, right. That, yeah. that was a remake? It wasn't exactly a remake. It was a retelling of the same story. Same, oh, I see. This one is, I don't know. I feel like it was very influential on a lot of people because it's probably one of the first. I mean, I've heard somebody say somewhere that it was one of the first times where it's like, the gunslinger that everybody wants to assassinate for clout mm. is where that sort of came from. Because the story of I saw Jesse James, if you don't know the real story in real life, is Jesse James was a, a bank robber. He had a group of people, right. a gang, and he wouldn't really let that gang do anything but what he wanted them to do. While he was able to still have a good life, like a wife and things like that. So this guy, Robert Ford, got very jealous mm. and wanted to have his own life. But... Jesse James wouldn't let him. So what did Robert Ford do? Shot Jesse James in the back. Not even in the front. Back. He, he, like a coward. <laughs> he shot Jesse James in the back. back. Then on, to add insult to injury, 
Well, although uh, I read about Fuller and he said uh, everybody glorifies Jesse James, but he was a violent murderer, thief, and that he kind of felt like Robert Ford did a thing that was coming to Jesse James. So he had sympathy for Robert Ford for what he mm. did, where people would call Robert Ford a coward for shooting him in the right back. back yeah. Samuel <laughs> Fuller said Jesse James had it coming. <laughs> So that's why he was interested in that story. Mm. What also becomes, and I won't spoil the whole thing because it's really, really cool movie. I have to see it. Though. Yeah, you'll love it. And um, but Robert Ford, in order to cash in on his fame, once he kills Jesse James, he's the most famous gunslinger in the West. Even though he's like sort of like not really that tough, mm. he starts to recreate the the murder on stage for money. Oh, really? Yeah, and people come from all around to watch him recreate the murder of Jesse James. What about that shit? Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and then there's, like, a love story. Right. It's really, a, like, for a first debut written and directed movie, it's a brilliant piece. And, uh, honestly, one of the most captivating westerns I've seen almost ever. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah, man, you gotta watch it. So okay. then the next one after that uh, was The Baron of Arizona. Another, another western? semi-western. Oh. It's based on another true story starring Vincent Price. And it's about this man who almost scammed the entire state of Arizona out of their land so he can own the whole thing. It's amazing. And Vincent Price, it's one of Vincent Price's first starring roles. In fact, it might have been his first lead lead role where he hmm. led a movie. And uh, another really like underrated, awesome oh. film. And again, I won't get too far into the details, but if you like westerns and you like black and white and you like Vincent Price, this is the film for you. And then it's not even a horror movie, right? It's not even a horror movie, but there is, there are, as always with Samuel Fuller, dark elements mm. that make it close to thriller or noir. You know, it's, right, it's right. skirting the edge of realistic horrors, horrors that you and me as people would experience not like Freddy Krueger type stuff right. oh, or right. Edgar Allan Poe type stuff oh Krueger uh, Freddy that's bullshit that's bullshit <laughs> that's for another episode that's <laughs> yes for... that's uh, okay <laughs> so then after that he does this movie called The Steel Helmet mm. now The Steel Helmet is a war movie and it's it's semi based on his personal experiences but instead of being in World War 2 it's in South Korea mm. set during the Korean War and uh I won't say anything because I think people should just go out and watch this movie. But one factoid, there's a, a little um, Korean kid who's like the main character sidekick during most of it. Yeah. His name is Short Round. Oh my god, that's probably that's Lucas or Spielberg took it from uh, 150,000%. He They said, I guess as an honor to that movie because they were fans that they nicknamed right. Short Round Short Round. How about that shit? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And this is another great harrowing, like, underrated thing. Uh, they they sort of, like, there's this infantry unit that, that sort of all the, like, surviving members of different platoons get together and form a new unit. And then they hole up at a, at a Buddhist temple. And there's these really interesting things about peace and war. And, and oh, my God. It's, it's a beautifully written movie. Um, so then the next one that I watched, I skipped over a few. There's Park Row, Fixed Bayonet. I didn't see those, but Pick Up on South Street. Oh, Now, yeah. I know you watched this one. Yes, yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, not the first time, maybe third time. So. Yeah, so tell me your thoughts on, on Pick Up on South Street, because I've been talking for fucking 20 <laughs> minutes. Well, 
first, the, the, the great casting, and then you know Richard Widmark, the the his his him being uh, you know pickpocket is very interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I like. Uh, was that that woman? Old She's woman. great. Uh, oh, the, uh, uh, Thelma Ritter. Thelma Ritter. Yeah, she was in uh, Rare Window. Yes, she was in a few things. Um, uh, but but this um, movie was a revelation. This woman, it's it's such a great character because you don't really think that uh, an older woman is going to get such a great role. Right. But this is a great role. Yeah, she's a great character actress anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they're, they're really good good characters. And then. And then uh, just whole setting, you know, New York, and then then Richard Widemark, what's his name? Skip or something? Uh, let's see, the character's name, uh, let's see. It is uh, Skip, yes, yeah, Skip McCoy. Yeah, yeah. He lives in this shack by the, you know, by the waterfront. Yeah, by yeah. the water, yeah. And then what I like is uh, he, he doesn't have a refrigerator, so, you know, he... <laughs> He keeps the beer cold in the water. Yeah. He has a rope and right. like a bucket. But also what's interesting, we can get into semi-spoiler territories. We won't sell the whole thing. But uh, he hides things that he pickpockets right. in that. And then the bottom of the box. Yeah. And one of the things that he takes at the ver- right. in the very first scene of the movie accidentally is some sort of like communist spy. spy yeah. And then the other thing is that the communist spy, the, the theming is... It's not just a crime, you know, subject for the film noir. It's very advanced, you know, that that time, 1950, I mean... He, well, all the artist, stuff. Yeah, yeah all, all the, the things stuff. was going on with the McCarthyism the, yeah, and McCarthy, all that. It's, it's there, so... Yeah, I and see. you know, they, they went uh, after him, uh, Fuller, and said that he it was a, a pro-communist movie. And he said... Just because my characters say pro-communist things doesn't make me a pro-communist. Right, right. It's my character. Yeah. And he has to say realistic things in order for him to be the villain. <laughs> you know? Like, what the hell? So, but you like this one, right? I this like a, this one, yeah. This is one of the best, best crime uh, noirs yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. You know? And um, the the woman, the lead uh, actress, the femme fatale. Oh, yeah. She, Jean I, I liked her, too. So good. And then, and then you know, happy ending? <laughs> uh, I, I really like that. I mean, many things. Oh, the film noir cannot be happy ending. Why not? Yeah. 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 Boy gets girl and the girl gets, you know, yeah. the, forget the old abused boyfriend and get the new one. Yeah. She, Especially she, if he's, uh, you know, tricking you into carrying communist spy was, secrets. Yeah. <laughs> and get you looped into yeah. all sorts so of So every which you know, so uh, uh, unique, unusual compared to other it's not really uh just the regular you know the the element it's just all twist and turn you know yeah i mean uh i i'm telling you i was captivated the whole time and sometimes with noir i get a little like you know not all noir some of it i'm not bored but sometimes right. i just get a little like all right when we get to the twist what do we do because some of the scenes are so melodramatic this isn't melodramatic like there are the scenes where the guy and the girl are talking about being in love after right. like a day, but it's almost re- there's something real about it, more real. Fuller adds a realism to it that isn't in a lot of uh, that. No, those two characters becoming attracted that was so quick, you know. It was quick, but it, like I'm saying in in other movies, when it's so quick, 
it's like, you know, I, lo I loved you since the first moment I saw you, but in this, there is a fire and a passion in it that you could sort of see. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the acting. Yeah, maybe it's the direction, sure. but it's it's it works yeah. where other movies fail. Right. Yeah. Um, so pick up on South Street. What you recommend, oh, of course. Yes, but I don't recommend the remake. There's a remake called the the Cape Town Affair. Oh no! What year? 1967. Okay. Maybe ten years, uh, ten some years after, and then uh, this one Samuel Fuller also wrote it. But different director. What pisses me off is it's the same thing. All you know, camera angle, shot, editing. It's the same thing. So they didn't. It's just like karaoke. They didn't really. Yeah, they, they like nothing. They go like same thing, only worse. Exactly. Oh. Poor acting, slow. I mean, compared to original, uh, this is totally wasting time. And then the Richard Widmark part. Played by uh, James Brolin. Okay. And then it's it's his first starting role movie. Right. And then uh, that the the female part, Jacqueline Bisset. Oh well, I mean they're all right, um, but it's just maybe the directing wasn't as yeah uh, sharp. sharp. No, mm -hmm. yeah, that's exactly right. Ah, that's sad. Well, Fuller, you know, one thing that I noticed about him as I was watching all of this stuff. Is, and he influenced so many people. I'm talking Martin right. Scorsese, you know, Tarantino, Jarmusch. I mean, the list goes on and on. Right. Motivated movements is what I've noticed about Fuller's uh, directing style. Some directors don't do that. They just, like, let the camera play out or they move right. to show you something. Fuller moves with the actors whenever so if an actor stands up the camera, camera moves, moves if the actor moves across the room the camera moves to a new position and it's always motivated by what the characters are doing and not what the story is dictating it's i mean sometimes it's what the story is dictating but it's 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 like a kinetic movement almost uh giving you the emotion of each character as they let forth their feelings it's an amazing directing style that once we get to Shock Corridor, that's the one where he really shines. But so, after Pick Up on South Street uh, in his uh, filmography here, I kind of missed a bunch. Um, Helen High Water, I didn't see. I did. House of Bamboo? Oh, House of Bamboo okay. is my favorite. That's a film noir, and then it's amazing. That time, like uh, around just 10 years after... We lost the war. He went to Japan. He went to Tokyo and shot the entire movie over there. Yeah. Like what? 50 years ahead of time, like uh, Black Rain, you know. He, <laughs> he was, did it already. Yeah, yeah, he was fascinated by Asian culture and other well, cultures he, in general, yeah. Because uh, 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 I am Helmet. I mean, Steel Helmet. Helmet, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, already, you know, that uh, he, he went to Asia, right? Yeah, the first movie China, about the Korean War. China Girl, he, he, China, China, China Gate, yeah, 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 China, China yeah. Gate. And, yep. then, and then this one House in of Japan, Bamboo. House of Bamboo. So House of Bamboo, he shot on location. In Tokyo, wow. yeah. Wow, And then, you know, that uh, uh, like a Caucasian gang, their rise in Tokyo with Japanese economy. It's like a amazing, like who would think of that, right? I mean, <laughs> we just lost the world and he's already thinking, okay. And, put, and, and, right. yeah, and commenting on the social 
political ideas yeah. in Japan. Okay, you you know white guys and go go to you know Japan living you know around the messing around the Japanese society or or economy. Yeah. But you know those crime gang from America is just rising up. That's crazy. Who who's in that one? Robert Ryan. Oh wow. He is the uh, head of the the gang. Whoa. Then, uh, yeah, this is one I wanted to watch, but I just didn't have enough time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Robert Ryan, Robert Stack, Stack yeah. of uh, uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Right, and then so he come to you know uh, from America, and then try to you know find the the war buddies in Tokyo, and then and they're just a gang. gang. Yeah. Wow, that's such a cool story. It's a cool story, and then it's a film noir, but it's color. Oh, interesting. There's a you know talk. Oh, the film noir cannot be the color like. Why no? Film noir can be color. Yeah. And then and then ending. I think this is also a happy ending. But then you know many people say film noir cannot be happy ending. Why not? Guy gets girl. And then you know they're walking. Uh, I think like a shrine or a temple, going away from the camera. You know, happy ending. So he Fuller can. Give a noir a happy ending. That's, yes, that's multiple times he's done it now. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, so, okay. So then after that, you got Chinagate. Right. Which you mentioned. Oh, I like that uh, uh, Angie Dickinson is in it. Hell yeah. Yeah, you can't say no to Angie Dickinson. That's right. Who later went on to do, uh, you know, uh, you know that movie. <laughs> the, the one with the, the Palma. The, Oh, the dress to kill. Dress to kill. Yeah. I, the, I, for some reason, I was going to say body double, but I was my brain was farting. But yeah, body double. Uh, I mean, uh, dress to kill. And Nat King Cole is in this one. Really? The, the actor Nat King Cole. I can't believe that. Now I want to watch that because I love Nat King Cole, man. I used to one of my favorite songs of all time. Wait, 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 she's in the the House of Bamboo. No, no, China Gate. Oh, China Gate. Oh, one of my favorite songs of all time by is by Nat King Cole. It's called That Sunday That Summer. Holy, look, look, listen to this song. If I had to choose one moment. Oh, now, oh so good. He play character, he's in it as a singer. It just says here, because this is one of the ones I missed, unfortunately, which, which makes me happy in a way, because we did all this research for Samuel Fuller, and we each watched like 10 movies each, but we still have ones to watch, which makes me quite excited. <laughs> um, it's He's a character named Goldie, oh, so I so guess he's, he's in it. Oh, in uh, oh Lee Van Cleef is in it? Ooh. Oh, Lee Van Cleef, yes. Oh, yeah, all right. I have to see it again. I saw it a long time ago, so yeah. I, I kind of forgot. Yeah. Oh, that's some... That's See, yeah. that re- makes me really excited. Yeah. Okay, so then we have Run of the Arrow, which is another uh, Western? Western, which I don't know much about, but Rod Steiger is in it, so oh. uh, of course you got to you gotta so, check see, that out. See, he's good. He's good at Western... War movie, you know, contemporary, noir. noir yeah, contemporary. I mean, so he can do all the genres. Even art house films. I mean, when he gets to the 60s, he does these slam bang two in a row art house movies. It's incredible. So they're, after See, that. He's so talented. Yeah. So talented. Um, after that, he does 40 Guns, oh. which is, um, it looks like another Western. Right. Uh, with Barbara Stanwyck. Oh. See, he, he, he also casts impeccably. You want to watch these people, right? right? Uh, then he does a movie called Verboten, uh, which is a war film. Right. Uh, and I don't recognize anybody from that one, but I still watch it because it's Sam Fuller. Right. He's the star sometimes. The Crimson Kimono. 
Oh, Crimson Kimono. Yeah, that's another one. Oh, and that guy from Die Hard is in it. James Shitega. James Shigeta, yes. Shigeta. Yes. Oh, that's the dude who, uh, he's Nakatomi. Yeah, yeah Nakatomi. Yeah. <laughs> See, Samir Fura, he really likes Asian culture. Though. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, Then Underworld USA, which is, I guess, uh, uh, that's a crime the, the thriller. Film, yeah. Uh, then he does some TV. Now, okay, here we go. Shock Corridor. Oh, that's another interesting because uh, the, the journalist yes. go, go undercover in the mental hospital. Yes, to solve a murder. murder. Yeah. But guess what happens? He slowly starts to go Don't insane. <laughs> and so Shock Corridor, no joke, right. it's, it's slowly becoming one of my favorite movies of uh -huh. all time. I've watched it three times now and... Um, I, I, honestly, I, every time it's more powerful because I'm now I'm like anticipating the parts and I'm starting to learn the monologues or the pieces and the things that I didn't notice the first time. Right. And and the and the lead actress in it, um, who plays his girlfriend, who pretends to be his sister, who he's attracted right. to, so that he could get put in the mental institution. Constance Towers. Now uh, we'll we'll talk about her because she's also in the Naked Kiss, and I got to tell you, that's one of the greatest female performances I've ever seen in the Naked Kiss. But in in Shock Corridor, so yeah, it's about a journalist who, in order to try to win the Pulitzer Prize, goes undercover, but with the help of like a psychiatrist and his editor, he drives himself insane. In a fake way, pretending that he's in, he's insane. A, yeah, he pretends he's insane, but he pretends he's attracted to his sister, his girlfriend, who's like a showgirl. She's like a a burlesque dancer. Pretends that he's her brother and says he's like attracted to her and tries to attack her and stuff. It's really fucking dark. And then they put him in the insane asylum, and he starts to meet all of these weird characters in the insane asylum, like. The humongous dude who's like the opera singer. Yeah. Oh my God! Remember that? Or or the and this predates the Chappelle show by what thirty years? It's the black guy who uh, thinks he's in the he thinks he's a Ku Klux Klan member, but the way that they do it, it's like it's like a commentary on America. Like Fuller didn't make that character as a joke; he made that character as a serious statement against the state of affairs in 1963. You know. Way ahead of time. <laughs> he was so ahead of his time. Then on top of that, he has like these other characters, like uh, uh, this this scientist who uh, kind of breaks his mind uh -huh. and, and starts to act like a child, um, and all sorts of stuff. And and slowly he he makes his way through these characters. And it's also a predecessor of like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, nest. right? And the black and white photography, the uh, the guy who shot it uh, me and Liz uh, looked him up and called him out because he shot all these insane movies but um his name is Stanley Cortez this guy holy shit the, the way that shot corridor looks is the way that if I ever make a movie I don't want to shoot it in color I want to shoot it in black and white and make it look like fucking shot corridor <laughs> it's so gorgeous and then the the we won't like spoil like the story climax but there's a climax in the movie where it's raining indoors. Mm -hmm. You remember that? And and the, No, I don't remember. You don't remember? Oh, my God. They, so Fuller waited. So, uh, you know, he was getting a little pushback from some of the investors and stuff. They weren't sure but because it was like so, the movie was so strange right. and the dailies they were seeing. 
So he told his story, waited to the last day, flooded the set like insane, right? Whoa. So that it was destroyed mm. so that he didn't have to do any reshoots. Because <laughs> <laughs> even if even if the investors wanted to reshoot, the, the set's gone. So they're not going to want to spend money to rebuild right. the sets. No, he just flooded the set with this rain sequence inside. And uh, that was it. So he got his way in a way by being smart and writing that into the movie. <laughs> yeah, imagine. So yeah, Shot Corridor, man. It, when was the first time you saw that? Or when was the first time you remember being introduced to Fuller? The Baku, back about, I think uh, when I saw White Dog. We'll get to White Dog. I yeah. want to talk about two or three more movies before that, because that's the that's the climax, which is... Right. Oh, then before that, I, I see the big red one. Yes. That was like 40-some years ago. Yeah, that was I mean, I early saw, 80s. I, right. Uh, I saw the movie in the movie theater, then who is this guy? That's how... I stopped. That's awesome. See, I wish I could have seen the big red one in the theater. That's such a cool uh, thing. So, after Shot Corridor, which is my personal favorite and is now on my list of infinitely rewatchable movies. I mean, I could watch this movie forever now mm -hmm. and never get bored of it. If you want to watch it now, I'll watch it. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's that kind of a movie. Um, The Naked Kiss. The very next year. So, he did... Mm -hmm. Shot Corridor was 1963. 1964 is The Naked, Naked Kiss. Naked after, huh? Oh. Right after. And uh, this one has one of the most insane, awesome openings I've ever seen in a movie. I don't remember. So, it's so of course, the story is the uh, a former prostitute relocates to a button-down suburb determined to fit in with the mainstream society, but perverse secrets simmer beneath the wholesome surface. So basically, she's a prostitute that tries to reform herself. Something happens, a crime that mm -hmm. she's not she's not involved in, but they start to pin it on her because her past starts to right. come out. It's a great movie, but the opening is uh, she's a prostitute. She's in a, like a, a room, maybe a hotel room or something right. with a man, and she's fighting him. She's beating him up, and it's a it's a shot a POV from the man mm. and she's like hitting at the camera hitting at the camera and all of a sudden the man he's trying to like ward her off he's trying to stop her from fighting and he reaches and he and he like grabs her hair and the fucking hair comes off and she's completely bald and she's like Rah! she just looks crazy and when me and Liz were watching this movie Liz Shack, our producer I like jumped because I was like holy shit I didn't know that was coming <laughs> it's such a shocking mm. Opening, you know, and we'll I'll we'll do a spoiler warning at the beginning because if you want to like go out and watch these movies before you hear us talk about them, that's probably the best way to experience them because they're so powerful, especially something like the Naked Kiss. I, I don't remember the bold part, but I kind of remember she's hitting him, and that's yeah, the POV shot. Right? Yeah, it's a POV shot, and she's like coming, coming, right, coming, right. and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. she, it, like her hair is gone, and it was like what. I have to see that game then. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. And then there's some creepy sequence with like little mm. kids singing. And it's just a great, great movie. And, and Constance Towers gives an incredible performance. One of my favorite female performances of all time. Sometimes I confuse the naked kiss and the kiss of death. Yeah, those are they're, they're not similar when you like watch but them, the but they're title kind of. Yeah. And then the other movie that Richard Widmark is in it. Yeah. He's you know, in he pushed the 
Wheelchair Woman. Ja, ja. So I always confuse those two movies. <laughs> yeah, that, so so then after that he does some TV, whatever. But then he uh -huh. goes, he uh, does this movie Shark with Burt Reynolds, which was a complete disaster. He he wanted to take his name off of it because uh, the producers fucked with him so bad that he couldn't make his movie that he, he, he wanted. He's to. better independent than you yes. know, like a picking. I mean, when they work with the studio, they they, they screw them. Yeah, yes. um, and apparently I, this may not be a hundred percent true. I don't. I didn't really look into this, but I read some of the trivia on Shark and why it was such a disaster. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things says that a stuntman died wow. on the movie um, and was bit by a shark or something like that. And Fuller was, like, devastated, you know. And, uh, you know, and on top of the fact that his movie's not coming out the way that he wanted, the producers then decided to rename the movie. It was named something else. They renamed it Shark and then basically... Uh, promoted the movie based on the fact that a guy died on the set. There's a time there was a Time magazine uh, article, and Fuller wanted nothing to do with that. He didn't want to exploit a, a man's death right. in order to sell tickets to his movie. So he and I tried to watch it. It's a, it's uh -huh. a, it's a mess. You, you can't even watch them, even with Burt Reynolds in it, a young Burt Reynolds. It's uh, it's horrible. So I would say avoid Shark if you can. Okay. <laughs> I never seen it in you. I didn't even know that. So yeah, yeah. Um, so then he does a lot of other stuff in the '70s. Uh, you know, like not a lot, but a few other movies in the '70s, which I didn't see. Uh, oh no, actually, wait, it's all TV. So he in the '70s. Wait, wait, is there any? He wrote it, and then he shot in France or Germany. Something pigeon. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he just wrote it. Because right now I'm just looking at what he's written and directed at the same time. But let's oh. see uh, uh, his... Um, I thought he directed that one. Let's see. Something Pigeon Street or something. Uh, some... Maybe. Let's look. I'm, I'm looking through... Um, I'm looking through his... Uh, pick up on South Street. Let's see. Hello High Water. Prince of Play. Dead the Pigeon something. Let's see. Dogface, Underworld. Uh, dead, we're going through. Yeah, Dead the Pigeon on something street. 1970, early 70, I think. Yeah, I don't see it here. Uh, oh, oh, it's a TV show. It's a TV show? Yeah, oh, okay, man, it's yeah. a TV show, and the, the series title here is T-A-T-O-R-T, T-T-R-O-T. T-T-R-O-T. Okay. Here, Dead Pigeon on Beethoven Street. In German, it's Ted oh, Throg. Okay. And yeah, it's a television program, police procedural, directed by Samuel Fuller. See, I saw that. Okay. Okay. I saw that in the theater. Oh! You're in the theater? Yeah. Why? When? Well, because <laughs> this, I mean, this was TV program, but some, you know, Samuel Fuller festival or something, and I saw it in the movie theater. I never saw it on TV. That's why I didn't even know this was TV show until now because I saw it in the movie theater. Oh, that's insane. Was it is cinematic enough to be in the theater? Yeah. Really? It's, it's, it's fun, but it's it's very interesting movie. I mean, I really can't remember everything, but it's somewhere before. That's the only reason. And it was in German or uh, they English? They shot in German, they, it, but I saw it in... Dubbed? Oh, yeah, that was in English. Wow. Oh, you know what? What? I saw it in Tokyo. 
Ah, okay. All right. Not here. Aha. But it was still a TV show that was shown in the theaters yes. in Tokyo. Right. And you in, recommend in the it. Japanese. Yeah. I recommend it. It's very interesting movie. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm down to watch that. I'm down. I'm Honestly, b- before I pass off this uh, earth, I'm going to watch every single Samuel Fuller movie. Okay. I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after the 70s, he does the Big Red One in 1980, right, okay. which is based on his time uh, right. in World War II. Is, is that, is that uh, well, Mark Hamill? Mark Hamill. Mr. Uh, Luke Skywalker uh, himself uh, is in it. You know who else is in it? Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. Yes. Lee Marvin. The great Lee Marvin. But also, Rock. Uh, Robert Carradine, the son of John Carradine, which I never knew that. So, you know, Robert Carradine is the lead in Revenge of the Nerds. Right. Which was shot after the Big Red One. But it's so funny because Robert Carradine is obviously a great actor because you watch the Big Red One. He is... Samuel Fuller. He plays basically what Samuel Fuller... He's the character with Samuel He's the character, you know, chomping on the cigar. Oh, Some guy's reading his book, and he goes up to him. He goes, that's my book. And he goes, no, I bought this book. And he goes, no, I wrote that book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... And then he goes on and does Revenge of the Nerds. Like, that's amazing. So, and, and he's... Robert I didn't Car- know... Wait a minute. Uh, is that Robert Carradine? Robert David, Carradine. David? No, no. David is, I guess, his brother. So, there was three Carradines. Robert, David, and uh, uh, Keith... Oh, the guy who was in um, McCabe, Mrs. Miller, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, the Robert Altman movie. Oh, okay, you know. That's... So, so they're I guess they're brothers who are the descendants of John Carradine, who is like the most prolific actor of all time. Supposedly, he he acted in the most movies ever. John Carradine die in some Asia with the female clothes. That's David. The no, that's David. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. Unfortunately, sadly, uh, he he. Yeah, they, they said that he was. Uh, he was in uh, the the Kill Bill. Yes, Ki- that's Ki- David. That's David. Yeah, right? yeah. And then David liked Marco a lot. Oh, your your mentor Marco, uh, who so is the, a famous the, actor the, as well. The, the when they did the Canon movie, David always uh, using Marco like. Uh, 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 canon action movie. They shot canon the, action movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they lots of movies shot in Philippines, right? Oh, so that so they were friends. Marco went a lot, many times in Philippines. That's you know the Carradines. Say what you will about uh, Nepo babies. Everybody's talking about Nepo babies these years. Nepo babies. Who cares? The, the, the Carradines are great actors, all of them. So yeah. even if they are Nepo babies, they they earn their place in in Hollywood the history. Nep- nepotism thing. Yeah, everybody's saying, "Oh, you're a Nepo baby because you know you're you're the daughter of Johnny Depp, and you can't you shouldn't act. You, you know that's like nepotism. Who cares? Well, well that nepotism is the all about thing Hollywood. Yeah, if you are good, then it shouldn't matter. If you yeah. suck and you keep getting jobs. Then it matters. Right. But if you're a good actor and you prove yourself and you're doing your own thing, Nepo Babies, I I, I hate that shit. Because I I think that people should be judged on their own uh, merits. Not just because they're, okay, maybe they got a shot faster than they would have. But if they have talent and they could keep it up, then it shouldn't matter, in my opinion. Yeah, or if our parents are big time producers... We will be working big studio movie. That's probably. right, and I wouldn't have a goddamn problem with it. Yeah. <laughs> and I would succeed like a motherfucker. Yeah. I would work my ass off. You yeah. know, just because they're Nepo babies, as so the people are saying, doesn't mean that they're not doing good jobs. Yeah, there is, uh, what, Barrymore. 
Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Barry Moore's, uh, you know, hey, say what you will about how what Charlie Sheen turned out to be. He was a good actor. Yeah. Emilio Estevez. Uh, yeah. They're both the sons of Martin Sheen. Martin there's Sheen. so many great actors and actresses. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a Nepo yeah. baby. Yeah. You know? Tony Curtis and... Yeah, Tony Curtis and another woman. Janet Lee. Janet Lee, that's it. <laughs> and then, then, then Janet Lee and the Vic Moron, their baby is a... To- uh, the- Lee, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. And then yeah. you have uh, the one uh, who was in Singing in the Rain. Her daughter is uh, Princess Leia. Yeah. Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. Come yeah. on. So you're Kelly telling Fisher, me. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. And then, of course, Samuel Fuller's daughter goes on That's and right. honors him in a documentary. So you're saying. Oh, she's a Nepo baby. She should never be allowed to make a documentary about her father because she's a Nepo baby. Get out of here. Like, everybody's so jealous of everybody nowadays. Like, just because you're not where you want to be doesn't mean you have to take away from other people. Other people's success doesn't mean that you're a failure. All it means is that you have to work harder to get more success. And yeah, sure, if you get an opportunity, whatever. But your opportunities will come if you work hard enough and you're good. Yeah. That's my opinion about Nepo babies. And I'm sure Samuel Fuller didn't care about Nepo Babies. That's he said, right. do good work, you get the job. Right. You know? Right. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about the big one, because this is going to be sort of the climax of our Samuel Fuller piece, is White Dog. Yes. Now, White Dog is a movie that uh, it's about a, a white dog. This girl finds a white dog that's lost. Right. And she's white herself. Um, Why is that uh, Christy McNichol? Christy McNichol. She finds... Who is that black actor? He, some oh, oh, he. I love him. Paul Winfield, I think oh, is Paul his Oh, Paul Winfield. That's right. And he is... Anytime he shows up in a movie, he elevates the thing. Right. Anytime, right? He's in Terminator. He's in all sorts of movies. I don't remember, but I did the work with him. You work with Paul Winfield? Yeah. When I, I, like a... Way before even the way Denzel became famous, I did the uh, theater play called uh, Checkmate. Oh, oh, it was him and Denzel. Yeah, that's the Paul Winfield and Denzel. Oh, that's incredible! That must have been amazing to see live. Yeah, and then you know, I was a kid, then they were kid, Denzel was before famous, and this is the story. I said, "Gee, you are good. You will be yeah. big star someday." That was the. <laughs> But he did, this is a fantastic play. And then this is the only play originally produced in Los Angeles, went to Broadway. Oh, opposite, yeah. But opposite. Usually, you know, all the show yeah. coming from East End, from England, right? Yeah. The Broadway people, they don't mind. But they do mind the show coming from Los Angeles. Right. So th- they didn't like it. And then top of that, the producer of this show was a drug dealer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me about <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> and then I think he's still in... In jail, jail or whatever? Yeah. Well, Paul Winfield, I think he passed away, unfortunately. Right. But he uh, he's incredible in Black he's Dog. Uh, white Dog. Uh, and then Burl Ives is in this movie. Burl Ives, the, uh, obviously famous for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Uh, Liz Shack, our producer, we were watching this movie together... And she said, oh, Burl Ives, he supposedly has the biggest dick in Hollywood, the biggest penis. But she she, she then r- realized. How does she know? Well, it, the, the rumors. Okay. But then she realized she was actually thinking of Milton Burl. 
<laughs> Milton Berle has a hog on him. I'm not going to disparage Burl Ives' penis because it's probably humongous. But the biggest but, thing, how big? Well, three a, feet. Apparently, Milton Berle used to whip it out, and because people would say, "Yeah, it's not that big," and he would show only half of it and would win the dick contest. Yeah, exactly. So what he's three knees? It's probably like yeah, three quarters of the way uh, below the knee. <laughs> Milton Berle. Oh, and then my dad said there was another guy in the in the forties uh, or thirties that had even bigger uh, forest something. I gotta look him up. Oh. But if you're interested, uh, this came up because Burl Ives is in the movie. Oh my god! <laughs> and Burl Ives, I'm sure, has a humongous penis too. But in this movie, he's um, you know, I, and I I I when I, he came on screen, I wasn't like reading because I wanted to really watch this movie and because I was captivated. I'm like, I recognize that voice. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? So after the movie ended, I looked it up and it was, yeah. Uh, great film. Great film. I mean, and so apparently what happened is the movie was being made and some organization, I don't know which one, right. started to put out bad words about the movie saying that it was a racist film. But it's about the racist. I know. So, I mean, it has to be that. Right? I know. And it somehow got disparaged in the press. And Fuller was really devastated by it because he's making this, like, incredible anti-racist allegory. Why? And ends up being punished because they say that his movie's racist. It's insane. And when you watch this movie, there is absolutely no mistake of what they're doing. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, the movie is racist because it's about the race, racist, so that doesn't make him a racist. No. People, people are stupid. It's so, it's like, it's just the worst kind of people do that to others. Do that to artists, especially an artist like Fuller, who's at the pit, he's, a, he sh that white dog should have won Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know fast, like, what this, you know, white dog, and then, Basically, white dog kill black people. Yeah. So because it was trained, trained out, by yeah. a racist right. man, and that's like sort of revealed later on in the story in a very interesting way. And so, yeah, and and then what they do is they try to retrain the dog. Paul Winfield, who's a black guy, starts to try to retrain the dog and and uh, communicate with it and stop it from attacking him. It's a, it's a. Learning, you know, I was just watching uh, The Roots the other day. Okay. Not the original one, remake Roots. Oh, oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know but, they remade Roots. You know, when, when slaves run away and then, you know, dog chasing. I think it's coming from, so, you know, people like me from Japan, I have no idea dog are like, like why dog... Because probably you know, uh, 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 you know, before and then after yeah. around the Civil War time, yeah, maybe they trained the dog to attack black people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's horrible. It's all coming from that history. Yeah. So, for me, it's very interesting to watch that subject, and then never thought about. I mean, I learned about the racist, but I never thought. Filmmaker is racist. Never. No, it's about the racist, so, you know, it's subject, so nothing wrong with that movie. No, 
No, and, and like, okay, I can understand if the the, the subject matter is too controversial for right. you that yeah. you would then have an issue with the controversy behind it. But I wouldn't understand. That's somebody who didn't watch the movie, didn't care to watch the movie, had to somehow form their agenda and and probably made some sort of money by going against this movie right. for their organization, whatever it was. I don't remember what it was. And uh, that's just a horrible thing and a disservice to the American public, in my opinion, because that movie didn't get released for many years right, until the Criterion uh, people put it out. Yeah, when I saw it, the, the you know, New Art. New Art, yeah, yeah you the, went to New Art in New L.A. Art, yeah, and the only one theater was, was what, what year? Uh, probably like the uh, early 2000s, right? Yeah, very, 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 very so later. So much later So, so much later, yeah. Oh, my God. So, and then, so, yeah, and I would recommend to anyone... Either pick up the disc, right. go to the uh, Criterion channel. Is, is the disc available? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Criterion still has it available. Okay, yeah. Um, so I would recommend that. Or it's probably streaming on Amazon Prime uh, if you want to rent yeah, it for two ninety nine or whatever. I, I recommend that. I highly recommend this movie. And then, you know, going backwards and watching. Because then Fuller only made maybe one thing after White Dog. I thought that White Dog was the last one, no? He made uh, a couple of movies, but they were all uh, overseas. You know, oh. he was able to get financing from like, uh, you know, maybe one or two movies. Mm. I mean, he did it. He did the documentaries as well. Right. Oh. Um, you know, the typewriter one. And uh, he did this this movie, a documentary with Jim Jarmusch about uh, an unmade movie called Tigrero that he was doing overseas. And some of some of that f unused footage from like Japan mm -hmm. and uh, he went to this uncontacted tribe. These are probably two different projects, but a lot of his unused footage went into Shock Corridor. Oh, So remember, there's the few points where it's black and white, but then it goes into color and it's this beautiful footage of either Japan or like uh, oh, those overseas. Are oh I see so he used some of his unused oh. footage in those movies so Tegrero that's also on the Criterion channel um, I and then oh so let's uh, you know of course I really you recommend I recommend this is one of the greatest American filmmakers ever right Samuel Fuller yeah <laughs> okay yeah, oh, I'm sorry <laughs> that's yes. who we've been talking about yes, for the last yes, time yes <laughs> I mean, you recommend to any movie lover out there to go and study yes, his uh, filmography. Fly, yeah. But he was also a novelist, which we didn't really touch upon uh, just a little bit. But w something that I got, because uh, I was looking for his novels. I can't find them anywhere. And then I found Brainquake. Brainquake. Now, this was a thing that got, I think, uh, released posthumously. Uh, it was a, it's a noir book. That was released That's much later. Why do the story? Is. The, the freaking opening scene is a, a baby shooting I know, a man. Baby <laughs> shooting a man in the Central Park. In Central Park, and then the mystery becomes like, well, how did this baby shoot a man? Well, who's behind this? What did the baby really shoot the man? And the, it's really freaking awesome. And it's like a hard-boiled uh, noir, but it, no, it's like set sort of in modern times, like in the nineties or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then they remember that the female police officer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I thought the her character is kind of wild too. Yo, the whole book is wild. Well, whole book is wild. Yeah, so I I like I recommend reading that because I got that on Kindle for I don't know ten bucks or something like that, and uh, it's totally worth it to read. And then I found um, a couple of other books that I'm going to read. Like, there's a book of whole interviews with him. And then, of course, his autobiography, A Third mm. Face. So, uh, yeah. If, if 
us rambling on about Samuel Fuller hasn't convinced you, just go back and watch one of the big right. ones, right? Pick up on South Street. I would say the three that you should watch, in my opinion, mm-hmm. pick up on South so- Street, Shock Corridor, and White Dog. Yeah. Start there. And and not in that order. I would start White Dog, Shock Corridor, and then and pick then up on pick South up Street. That's my opinion of how I would watch. Yeah. Uh, just to get an, a primer and then watch them all. Right. All right. So this so, has been Samuel Fuller. Any any final thoughts on Samuel Fuller? Again, it's so underrated director. He should be you know recognized a lot more than he has been. I think. Yeah. Well, you never know, Yuki. Maybe uh, there'll be a fuller resurgence, and then um, it'll just come out that all these new filmmakers are inspired by him, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, you know they start to make really beautiful, gritty noirs again. Uh, the, the, okay, new filmmakers are they studying classics? They are, to me, it's like they, those new filmmakers just uh, chasing uh, Marvel universe or DC movies. Sure, I mean, look, um, as time keeps moving on, we keep getting further and further away from those films, from those classic films that built the foundations of cinema. And what's going to happen is a lot of filmmakers are going to watch the movies that were inspired by the classics and not the classics. Like like uh, Tarantino, you know, I know he studies those, uh, so he's okay, but after him... New generations like a James Gunn or do you know those new filmmakers? I don't know if they study those classics. I don't know. Maybe James Gunn does because he's you know he seems like he probably loves media and just del- delves into it. But like what I feel is going to start to happen is that people are going to study Tarantino and they're not going to study Fuller. Whereas if you really love film, um. It really saddens me when people go, oh, it's in black and white, I can't watch it. Or it has subtitles, I can't watch it. It really closes you off to such beautiful work and beautiful art. Yeah, because you know, it's good film. It's in black and white color, subtitles, there's nothing to do with it. It's a good story, good, you know, good movie, it's a good movie. That's what it is. And um, it's. I really feel like it's a carbon copy almost, what people... Uh, and, and any filmmaker that I would uh, talk to who's like a young filmmaker, I would try to steer them towards some of these things, especially somebody like Fuller, who is obviously a prototype what? for all the stuff that came after him, you know, Scorsese, whatever. So, But I feel like a lot more that we move forward, people are going to recognize Scorsese what? and not John Huston or, you know, the, the people that came before, not Kurosawa but they'll recognize Tarantino. Well, I I think from around the 80s, like uh, music video generation, commercial generation, when they, you know, those guys becoming a film director, it's not the same, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a different style. It's so fast now. It's like nobody has... Um, it's so kinetic. All the filmmaking, like the shot... Length of a, of in a Samuel right. Fuller movie, yeah. there's like it's like a minute and a half some of this stuff, and that's just a regular scene. Yeah. Now shots last two seconds. Right. It's like shot, 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 shot. shot. So, hey, cutting too soon. Like I want to see acting. Right. I want to. And see I'm not you. saying all. I'm not saying that style isn't valid, or or I haven't really enjoyed some of that right. work. But it's like I feel like there's a lot of um, 
attention span obviously is going down because of TikTok and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, instead of, you know, the effective editing, just editing is too cut. Because now you have every option in the world, whereas when you used to cut on film, any chop you made was almost like so permanent because yeah. you had to chop it exactly at the right thing you had to pace it correctly and you couldn't edit as fast as you can now now you could just edit the fuck out of something in two days yeah and then it's like chop 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 i don't know i I'm, and i'm not saying that i'm not sitting here going like you know everybody's stupid for not what i feel like people are missing out on things that they would love because they don't watch these movies i know maybe I'm too old. I don't know. No, you're not too old, Yuki. It's because uh, you appreciate modern things too, right? But I feel like you need to also... I feel like people out there need to appreciate the past as well as the, right. you know, the current. Kind of... And then that way we push forward to an interesting future where it's a blend of all these flavors. Uh, Yuki's really sad right now. <laughs> I know. Uh, and then plus, you know, we don't even make a movie with the film anymore. Well, yeah, some, that's, that's, that's the last stand of only a few people making film anymore. And, it, it, you know, it's so expensive. It's sad. But hopefully digital can start to come close to replicating an actual film look. I mean, some some movies look really good. But you could always tell that digital, like, over-color-corrected blue world bullshit. And yeah, it really ruins some films. I know it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a sad thing. It's sad, yeah. but you know what's happy? Yeah. Samuel Fuller's movie are are always out there for you to go and watch. That, that, that's right. Okay. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you so thank much you for so joining much. Uh, Yuki and John's podcast buffet. You can yes. find us on Yuki and John's Patreon buffet, or Yuki is on Instagram and Twitter at Tokyo Cowboy Yuki. Oh, really? You, you didn't know that? No. <laughs> you always forget. <laughs> okay. You know I help you. I, I, yes, I know, I know. But it's all in your words. Okay. I, I, everything that you say, I haven't put a word in your mouth. <laughs> Except for maybe like, please listen to our program. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me at Bad Techno. We really, we appreciate all the support, all the listeners. Uh, please help us out. Share us around. You don't That's even right. have to subscribe to us. You can just say, hey, Yuki and John did a thing about Samuel Fuller. Listen Yay. to this. Yay. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you. At the buffet. Buffet.